Hey, it's Andy. Every teen has their stuff they don't tell their parents about, not because they lack trust, but because they're trying to work it out on their own. As much as we wish we could be their go-to for everything, the truth is we can't always provide the objective guidance they need during these crucial years. That's where our partner, Bonfire Digital Wellness, comes in. Imagine your teen having a compassionate coach with years of experience as a high school counselor checking in weekly to support your teen's social, emotional, and academic growth, from fostering healthy habits to managing screen time and much more. The best part? It's all 100% online. Visit BonfireDW today and take advantage of a one-month free trial. That's BonfireDW.org slash Talking to Teens. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Today we're here with Thomas Lacona, the author of the new book, How to Raise Kind Kids. And he's actually the author of nine books. He has been a developmental psychologist for half a century now, specifically focusing on the development of character and virtues. And he's a father of two, grandfather of 14, has been teaching parents all over the world how to instill values and virtues and character in kids for a long time now. So he's truly a global expert. We are enthusiastic about having him on the show today to talk about how to apply some of his techniques, specifically during the teenage years, in figuring out what your family stands for, what kind of values you want to impart to your kids, and then how to actually put that into practice. Can't wait to dive into how to raise kind kids. Thank you. You have this idea that I really love that there's kind of a family culture and you're really strategic about how to kind of build a family culture. So I'd love to talk about A, kind of how you came up with that as a concept and then B, how that might manifest during the teenage years and how you might be able to kind of build that if you're a parent of teenagers. That's an excellent question. Um, The reason the family culture is terribly important is that it enables parents to develop the family as a resource for everyone, to tap into really the power of the group in a positive way. For example, schools often struggle with what they call the peer culture. And the peer culture Mm -hmm. can be very negative. Kids can think, hey, what's the big deal about cheating? What's the big deal about drugs? What's the big deal about sex? And so on. They can develop these kinds of casual attitudes as a result of the peer culture. And frequently, schools don't know how to try to influence the pure culture. They think that essentially it creates itself and there's very little they can do as adults Mm. to shape it. Potentially, the most powerful force in teenagers' lives is pure pressure, but that doesn't have to be a negative. It can be harnessed as a positive thing. For example, when we see a team in athletics that has a great team spirit where people cheer each other on, where everybody holds each other up. You see the difference that that makes in the ability of that team to function as a unit, to do their best on the field or the court, and it's a powerful force. Well, the same thing in any group. There is a culture. You can shape it. 
You can harness it. You can point it in positive directions and make it a support system for every individual. Now, the family mission statement is one very intentional way to try to create a positive family culture. Intentionality in today's wider culture is increasingly important because parents often feel overmatched by powerful cultural forces, whether it's screens, whether it's uh, the political culture, whether it's materialism, consumerism, whether it's uh, an obsession with sex, whatever it is. Uh, parents feel, wow, you know, how do you compete against this? What am I? I'm just, I'm just, I'm a dad, I'm a mom, and <laughs> right. my kids look at me as a dinosaur. You know, I didn't grow up in these times and so on. But the secret really to having the inside track as an agent of positive influence in our child's growth is to form a bond and cultivate that relationship through connective rituals and to do the same thing with the family so the kids feel a strong connection to their family, indeed a pride in their family values and their family identity. Um, One mother, for example, said that their family simply had a, a motto, Liebermans don't lie. And that was a simple way of honoring integrity. It was something the family believed deep in. You know, when the parents wanted their children to be truthful with them and so on. So Liebermans don't lie. That captured the family culture. It's like a core value, yeah. Yeah, a core, a core virtue, a core value. And most parents, unfortunately, because we're busy, we're stressed, are not intentional about shaping a culture in the family. Yeah. What happens in that case is that we're carried along by the larger culture. And that ends up really raising our kids instead of us. So a family mission statement is one very deliberate way to try to shape a family culture. It means sitting down with your kids in an open conversation saying, what kind of a family do we want to be? What do we most deeply Mm -hmm. believe? What are the virtues or the qualities of character that we all want to exhibit in our relationships, in our interactions, in our behavior inside the home and outside the home? Sure. And you could take the lead as a parent by saying some things, You're, you can, but you certainly want to get your children's voice. The research shows that experiences of moral empowerment, where children have a voice in the family that affects not only family decisions and family matters, but also that affects their own decisions that impact their own lives. Even something like, do I want to stay back in third grade or not? Sometimes parents try to make that decision for their kid or the, right. the teachers try to make it. But there's an excellent book called The Self-Driven Child. Yeah, actually, we just had Ned and Bill on the podcast. Did you really? No uh, kidding. Yeah, yeah I, they're great. I absolutely love their book. I blurbed it. Uh, we had the same editor, actually. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed a lot of parallels, I think. You know, they, they have the wisdom that very often children have more wisdom about what they need and the best thing for them than anybody outside of them has. Now, that doesn't mean the kids make the final call on all kinds of things. They say in their book, for example, if your child is under peer pressure or if they're influenced by drugs or there's something happening that really weakens their ability to make a good judgment, you have to protect them against a destructive judgment in that case. But in general, you want to try to draw them out. Well, family mission statement does the same thing with everybody around the table. You say, what do we most deeply believe? And here's a here's a mission statement that a family came up with. Uh, their name was Davidson. The kids were seven, nine, six, and four at the time. They called their family mission statement the Davidson Way. And the mission statement consists of a series of we statements. The collective voice is very important. That indicates shared ownership. Mm-hmm. We commit to being kind, honest, and trustworthy, and fair. We don't lie, cheat, steal, or hurt somebody on purpose. We don't whine, complain, or make excuses. When we make a mistake, we learn from it and move on. We work to keep our minds, bodies, and souls healthy, strong, and pure. 
We commit to learning and growing in our faith. This was a Catholic family. Their faith was important to them. Mm-hmm. We live with an attitude of gratitude. And then the dad says, you know, we hang that in the kitchen. We might review it at the start of a week, but mostly we refer to it when we've hit a bump in the road. We say, what are we forgetting in our, in our mission statement? How can we put that into practice? So it becomes a point of reference. It's like a foundation yeah. that you then can build on and then keep coming back to. It's a lens through which you you look at your family life. It doesn't mean that you're going to live up to that perfectly. Those are ideals. Those sure. express what you aspire to. But you're not starting with a blank slate when your child is mean to his little sister or doesn't feed the dog or, or is rude and disrespectful to you as a parent. You're not starting from scratch. You've got that to draw upon. Absolutely. So that's one example of shaping a positive family culture and giving you a framework, a foundation that gives kids more security, that gives you a sense of who you are, that gives everybody a shared sense of identity as, as a family. You talk about comparing it to a team, a sports team, and it strikes me that, you know, the coaches that we think about, like the John Woodens, as being really the great coaches of all time. All the, the sports movies that we watch, you know, are about like having to take this ragtag team of different personalities and kind of blend it together and find like a common team culture and something to believe in and something to fight for as a team. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Wooden, actually. Wooden is one of my heroes. He's universally admired. He was not only sure. the winningest men's basketball coach who's ever lived in, in uh, men's sports, but he was really all about character. He said, we can't judge our success by the scoreboard. It doesn't tell whether we played our best, whether we worked together as a unit, whether we executed the way we practiced. He said, the scoreboard's not the measure. And so it's the old notion of, you know, when the one great scorer comes to write against your name, he writes not that you won or lost, but how you play the game. And that's what Wooden was all about. And yeah. people like Bill Walton went on to the NBA and looked back on their their lives, said that really Wooden taught them a life philosophy, and they're raising their teenagers uh, according to his character, maxims of, and philosophy. And uh, he had an interesting statement about what he considered to be the most important goal in life. He said, the goal in life is the same as basketball. Make the effort to do the best you're capable of doing in marriage, at your job, in the community, for your country. Make the effort to contribute in whatever way you can. You may do it materially, with time, ideas, or work. Making the effort is what counts in everything. So that's a great philosophy of life. We can certainly share that with our children, ask for their thoughts about it. So it strikes me that Wooden was a philosopher. Uh, You know, he thought deeply about these ideas of values that we could have as a team. And he's got all these great sayings that people still quote today, right? Because he boiled things down to their essence. And I love the idea of coming together as a family, creating this document that's like our our family mission statement of sorts. But of course, right, that then document becomes super important. And I wonder how you go into that meeting to write this document like prepared to kind of insert some viewpoints or values into the mission statement that are like really going to serve your family best in the long term or something like that. Well, that's that's a good question because actually there may be some preliminary work that you want to do as a parent with each of your children, especially with your teens, but really with all of your kids. A lot of these things would sound a little bit foreign or a little bit artificial or 
unnatural to parents. They are used to more casual and formal relationships, kind of relating to kids on the fly. And so sitting down to create a mission statement sounds like something that came right out of Stephen Covey's book. And people, kids might say, what did you do? Read some sort of book or go to a oh, workshop? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, right. so you want to you want to start really a richer conversation with your children. You know, there's a lot of talk now about the dominance of screens in family life, the dominance of screens in the culture, how they're really shutting down face-to-face interactions. There are people are staring at their screens in family life. They're not talking to each other. And that's that stands in contrast to what some parents do. For example, here's a mom. She says that she's got um, three teenagers and a couple of kids younger. She says, these days when I go to bed, there's usually a knock on the door from one of the children who wants to talk about something, a problem that happened today, something the next day they're worried about, or just something that's on their mind that we haven't had a chance to talk about. They sit in the edge of the bed and we talk. These conversations are precious to me. Now, they're precious to that mother, but uh, you can be sure they're also precious to those children. Absolutely. Because they're feeling their mother's love, and they're benefiting from their mother's listening, which is an act of love. They're benefiting from wisdom and life experience that the mother shares. And a lot of parents are not creating the context for these kinds of thoughtful, quiet, meaningful conversations. So I encourage parents to, to use conversation starters that consist of questions that can't be answered with Fine, good, great, okay. You know, kids will give you monosyllables if they can get away with it. So we need to be a little more thoughtful by saying, what was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day? Or what's something that you did today to help somebody else? Or what's something that someone else did to help you? Or what's a kind act that you observed that someone did for another person? What's an interesting conversation that you had today? What happened today that you didn't expect? There's always stuff that we don't expect. Or what did you learn today from the school of life where kids understand, you make the point mm-hmm. that you know school is about more than just what you, what you get in the classroom. All of life is a school. And, and then you do this in what I call a back and forth questions format because yeah. you want it to be a real exchange. So you want to say to your child, okay, you know, I asked you a question, ask me one. In the beginning, kids will say, our teenage son when he was 13 said, to him, well, I don't know what to ask you, dad. And I'd ask him what's on your mind these days. So he said, well, okay, what's on your mind? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and, you know, then I told him what I was thinking about. I was having a struggle with one particular course that I was teaching at the college. And then if you continue to do this back and forth question thing, which can take five minutes, it can go on for a whole hour, or depending on how much time you have, it becomes a ritual that you and your child will cherish. Now you've got a flow of meaningful conversation going. So if you sit down and do something like a family mission statement, your children will be readier to talk. They'll share something from a deeper level because you will have cultivated the soil. You will have plowed it up, as it were, and the family mission statement won't seem like such a strange artificial thing to do. Sure, you've kind of planted the seeds in there going along. Right, right. It's funny that you mentioned this back and forth question technique because that was something that stood out to me when I read your book. And actually, it made me think about the self-driven child, Ned and Bill's book, because they kind of have this big emphasis that your job as a parent is kind of helping your kid build the brain that is going to be most beneficial to them through the rest of their life and that you are what you habitually do. And so helping them to learn strategies like self-regulation and metacognitive abilities But so it it struck me what you're doing with that technique is kind of you're helping them build the skills of having a conversation. And like you say in the book, habits reflect 
values and virtues, right? So that particular habit then is kind of reflective of this value of being curious in other people and interested in other people, which is just like something that will serve you so well in life, right? Yeah. And if you, I mean, the book is called How to Raise Kind Kids. If you ask, well, what is kindness? Uh, fundamentally, kindness is caring about other people, their needs, their feelings, their thoughts, their happiness, their welfare. It's yeah. having an orientation toward others. What's the opposite of that? Self-centeredness, selfishness, not thinking of others, not being aware of other people, not being sensitive to their needs and feelings and so on. So the more we do really to cultivate thoughtfulness uh, about life, about relationships, the more we're doing to cultivate virtues like kindness. You mentioned earlier about Wooden's philosophy, that he was really a philosopher. In a sense, to be a good parent of a teenager, you really need to be a philosopher because adolescence is the time when children develop what the famous Swiss psychologist Jean Piaget called formal operational thinking. That's a fancy Uh word meaning that they can think about thinking. They can reflect on values in a new, deeper way. They can stand back from their own family and take stock of it. They can assess their parents more sharply. and Start saying, wait a minute, why do we do it that way? And, And they have questions that are really life's largest questions that philosophers Mm -hmm. through the centuries have pondered. For example, our origins, where did I come from? Destiny, where am I going? Is this life all there is? Identity, who am I? Morality, how can I decide what's right? Values, what matters most to me? Meaning, what's the purpose of life? What significance does my life have? And if we don't engage them at this level and and open up conversations and develop a relationship that draws out this deeper part, then this is still happening. It's just outside of our awareness, and we're not interacting with it in ways that can help our children, that can enrich their thinking. And we get kids, for example, here's a Here's an anecdote that I collected a few years ago. Uh, There's an Associated Press story about a 17-year-old senior in a Californian high school. She received double 800s on her SATs. She was known to her high school friends as Wonder Woman. And the reporter asked her in the course of the interview, what is the meaning of life? And she said, I have no idea. So here's a young woman who's a super (laughs) achiever and is on the treadmill and but clearly hasn't thought about anything higher, deeper, farther ahead in the future than, than right. her grades or SAT scores and maybe what college is going the to do. The next thing I'm expected to do. Yeah. yeah. Right. And now here's, by contrast, there's another recent high school graduate. And he said, I don't want to reach the age of 60 or even 40 and have somebody ask me what the meaning of life is and have to say, I have no idea. I see so many people going through the motions, get into a good school so you can get a good into a good college, so you can get a good job, so you can get a better job, so you can get rich and die. I want more than that. So there's a young person who says, look, life has to be about something more meaningful than this kind of rat race. We're here with Thomas Lacona, author of How to Raise Kind Kids. And we're talking about how to instill values and good character in teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Whether it comes to our religious faith, our worldview, our philosophy, you have been given your own mind, your own human personality, and you have to be true to that. You have to find your way. You have to try to do that without making big mistakes or hurt you, hurt somebody else. You don't want to have those kinds of regrets in your, in your life if you can avoid them. And you can always prefer this. Look, let me tell you the mistake I made when I was a teacher. Let me show you a lesson I learned as a, a college student. 
And, you know, I hope you'll think about it and take it to heart. When people write books about how to become a good conversationalist, they say that the distinguishing mark of a good conversationalist is curiosity about the other person. There's sure. a sincere interest in how the other person thinks, what their experiences are, what their take is on something. So if you do that back and forth questions, that will balance the conversation. I know parents, once they get that started, it's gone literally in a car ride for hours. And they're amazed at how much they learned about their 15-year-old that they hadn't learned in the previous 15 years just because the question keeps bouncing back and forth. Teenagers will challenge everything. And you have to be willing to engage in that dialogue, do it in a respectful manner, treat them as a developing human being who's going to be an adult before you can blink. But humility, hard work, courage, justice, positive attitude, all these are, are qualities that we will find make our lives happier and other people will find make their relationships with us more satisfying. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.